0: On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, The Reason for His Suffering. His scripture text will be taken from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3. Hear now, Pastor Moody.
1: For His Suffering. The Bible said in Acts, chapter 1, that Jesus, after His resurrection, He was seen for 40 days alive after His resurrection And the scripture said that he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs after his passion. The word passion there means his suffering, his offering of himself, his death. That was the purpose of his life. He came to live and die and be raised again. A few years ago they made a movie entitled The Passion. That's why it was titled that. It was the very reason Jesus came. And I want to preach this morning for a while on the reason for his sufferings. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the anointing, for the presence of the Lord. Let the power of heaven come down. Captivate us today, God. Don't let us escape your thoughts, your ideals, your purpose for this hour. Speak to every heart. Don't let anybody leave lost. Let this be a day of salvation and deliverance and victory. Let this be a day when those who've drifted return. Let this be a day of great reunion around the cross of Christ. And we'll give you praise. And everyone said, Amen. You to be seated. Hallelujah. I begin to think this morning or this week praying about what I would actually preach. And I've had this thought that it's often easier to describe the sufferings of Christ and him going to the cross, it's, it's, it's easier to describe it than it is to explain it. What do I mean by that? Most people take the idea or the notion that, that the cross, the beating, the dying of Jesus was a senseless act. It was overboard. It was extreme. There was no need in it. It was not fair that a good man... Should die like he did, but I begin to understand that it seems hard for most people to understand why. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he be so ill-treated? Why would God allow it? God said in Isaiah that he saw the suffering of Jesus' soul and was satisfied. God was satisfied that the sin debt was paid that the way was made for all of humanity to be saved and to come to him. You see, God's heart is for you to be one of his children. Most people say, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. We're all born in sin. We're all sinners by nature, and then we become sinners by choice. Our great, 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 thousand-time great-grandfather Adam lost that relationship for us when he sinned in the garden. And Jesus came to restore that relationship. And so most people have trouble understanding it. This man Jesus was so compassionate to the hurting and oppressed. He seemed to be the epitome of love and understanding. It seemed like everywhere he went, though, no one seemed to understand him. He would go into a place and he would heal their sick. He would cast out devils from the tormented. He would meet needs and and show the love of God continually, not just in his words, but in his actions. When he spoke, they recognized the authority of God in his voice. They said things like, never a man spake like this man. Jesus could walk into a town and get the whole town's attention without putting up a flyer, without doing a radio advertisement, without sending people out to gather a crowd. All he had to do was show up and people were drawn to him because he was God. Do you understand? And so I began to think about who Jesus was and what happened at that cross The prophet Isaiah prophesied this about Jesus' suffering and death a full 700 years before Jesus was even born. And earth's greatest tragedy became God's greatest triumph. I want you to know Jesus came to be our substitute. And so I want to look at this prophecy and look at some scripture and its fulfillment at the cross and in the garden and at the whipping post and what it meant for us. Do you understand that the night Jesus Christ was arrested was possibly, no, undoubtedly, the greatest miscarriage of justice that's ever taken place? They arrested him and they lied about him. Luke records it this way in Luke chapter 22. The Bible said that the night Jesus was betrayed, when he had uh, Luke 22 and 19, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. He said, This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after supper, supped from that cup, saying, This cup is the New Testament uh, in my blood which is shed for you. And this, of course, was was the Last Supper. We repeat this and rehearse this over and over when we do communion service. But that night when Jesus broke bread and gave that cup, the scripture said that he said almost in the same breath... In verse 21, but behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of God goes as it's determined, but woe unto that man by whom he was betrayed. Jesus that night was betrayed by one of his own disciples, Judas Iscariot. He was arrested. He was taken, amen, to to Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time. Matthew 25 uh, records in verses 59 and following, amen, that he went before what we would, in modern terms, call a kangaroo court. It was a sham, it was fixed. The Bible says that the chief priest and the elders in Matthew 26 and 59 and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. Let me, let me translate that. They look for somebody to get on the witness stand and lie about him. They looked for somebody that would lie. They wanted to kill the son of God. Now, verse 60 said, they found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet they found none. And at last, two men came, false witnesses, and said that Jesus said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. That's not what Jesus said. He said, tear down this temple, this body, and in three days, I'll raise it up again. Glory to God. He was trying to show the world that there was finally victory over death. There was finally a way out of the grave. There was finally a way to break the stronghold of sin off of a man's life and the scripture said uh, then that the, the high priest rose and said to Jesus, answerst thou nothing which, uh, what it is that these witnesses say against you? And Jesus held his peace. Amen. And the high priest then said, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us Whether or not you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said unto him, you've said it. Nevertheless, I say unto you hereafter, you're gonna see me, the Son of Man, sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. The high priest rent his clothes, accused him of blasphemy, which was worthy of death. But you've got to understand that the Jewish nation at that time was under Roman control. And Rome had not really given them any authority amen, to put a man to death, wouldn't allow him to do it. So they left from Caiaphas's hall and took Jesus to Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of that region appointed by Rome itself. And when they brought Jesus to Pilate, can I tell you that Pilate examined him? Amen. He said, I find no fault in him. I can see nothing wrong with him worthy of death. And he said, but as your custom is, I'll release one Prisoner to you tonight. Now there was another man by the name of Barabbas who was a robber. He was a murderer. He was a thief. Can I tell you, he was a picture of me and a picture of you. He was a guilty man, guilty of sin. You might say, I've never robbed. But if you're guilty of one of the commandments, you're guilty of all of them. Can somebody say amen? And so there he stood that day. And Pilate says, I'll give you a thief. I'll turn him loose and a murderer. Or I'll turn loose the son of God. And they said, no, not Jesus. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Say that with me, will you? Give us Barabbas. And then Pilate said, But this man Jesus, what shall I do with him? You know what they all responded? They all said, Crucify. Say it with me, will you? crucify him. They said it again. Say it one more time. Crucify him. And Pilate washed his hands. And he said, I'm washing my hands of the blood of this innocent man. But I want to tell you today, folks, that was the greatest substitution that ever took place. Because not only did Pilate release Barabbas when he sentenced Christ to death, but can I shout it, he released every one of us. Because of the cross of Calvary, because of the blood of Jesus, that's why they sang about it this morning. That's why we shout about it. And modern preachers and modern religionists say, do away with that slaughterhouse religion. But I want to shout, what can take away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me as white as snow. Give him praise if you would. Hallelujah. Hallelujah glory in Acts 8 and 33 the Bible said in his humiliation in his humiliation his judgment was taken away and who shall declare his generation talking about Jesus because his life was taken from the earth I have brought Jesus to the service today He's coming today to testify to you the reason for his suffering. You're going to see him today as he goes through the very things, amen, that man subjected him to. We're going to do it just in, in model and in representation this morning. And first of all, I want you to see Jesus at the whipping post. I want you to see him there as Roman soldiers ill-treated him and tied him to the whipping post. And they took that whip, that cat of nine tails, and they beat his back. And they beat him with 39 stripes, 40 save one. But what you've got to understand that every time that whip crossed his back, that there were thongs of leather. And in the end of those pieces of leather, there were pieces of metal and of glass and of sharp stone. And every time they would hit him, the flesh would fly. The psalmist would say that his bowels were exposed. He was without form. Or comeliness. Isaiah said there was no beauty in him that we should desire him at the whipping post. Amen. I want you to know that uh, there, thank God, uh, he was whipped for our healing. Healing was provided. The scripture just said in John 19 and 1 that, Jesus, that Pilate took Jesus and he scourged him. Isaiah 15 and 6 in prophecy, he said, What's this? I gave my back to the smiters. And my cheeks to them that plucked out the beard. Do you understand John would say of this Jesus, he was in the world and the world was made by him. He came to his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, he gave them power. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have stopped this, but he said, willingly, I gave my back to the smiters. They beat him. Do you understand that before he went to that whipping post and um, i kind of got ahead of myself said I was going to send him to the garden but I'll just rehearse it. I want him to stay here. I want you to see him. this beating is continually going and before he went to that whipping post he went to the garden he knew what was about to come to take place and he said God if you're willing let this cup pass from me and the scripture said he got in anguish and he prayed so intently so hard that the capillaries of his skin erupted and blood began to come through pours and drip down to the ground amen that spirit man wrestling against that that body that flesh the body wants to live but the spirit of Christ wanted to die he wanted to die for you and he prayed and then finally he said nevertheless not my will but thine be done and then the mockery of an arrest the mockery of a trial then he was at the whipping post there they're beating him and the flesh amen it was so bad that uh, in one place the scripture said in, in Psalms 129 verse 3 the plowers plowed upon my back and they made long their furrows I want you to understand that, that Isaiah prophesied and said with his stripes we're healed do you understand that he came to be Jehovah Rapha he came to be the healer amen the scripture said that we can call for the elders of the church. We can anoint them when they're sick with oil. And we can pray. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick. I want to say that again. The prayer of faith will heal the sick. And if they've committed sin, it'll be forgiven them. But not only physical healing, but can I tell you today, you may be here with a broken heart. You may be here today with broken dreams. You may be here today, you've been betrayed. You've been abused. Somebody that you loved has let you down. They've broken your heart. But can I shout it with His stripes? We're healed. He can make you whole today, He can restore joy back into your life. (laughs) Hallelujah. I begin to think about what it meant. The anguish of his soul, the beating at the whipping post, healing was provided. And then from the whipping post, Jesus that was taken that night uh, and back before Pilate and one more time and then he was released not released but they released him to the soldiers and they took Jesus and the Bible said they took him out to a place that's called in the Hebrew tongue Golgotha and there they crucified him. It's called Calvary and if you can just imagine while he's there at the cross they drove those big nails. They drove them into his hands. They beat them through the flesh. they pierced his hands. Hands that had, that turned water to wine. Hands that had took little children in his arms and blessed them. Hands that had raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Are you hearing me? Hands, dear God, that had, that had cleansed lepers. Amen. People wouldn't even get close to people with leprosy. But this Jesus would touch them and make them whole. Are you hearing me? Hands that had opened blind eyes. Dear God, hands that had Turn water to wine, hands that had demonstrated the very power of God that made the earth, that created everything, but he willingly let them beat those nails into those feet, into those hands and into those feet, feet that had walked on the water, feet that had carried miracles, feet that had brought the gospel and the good news of the kingdom. They nailed our Savior to a cross and let him hang there to die to die How would you to get a vivid picture this is this is a poor representation no form in him no beauty I read one time years ago in commentary that the, the thorns that they pressed on his head were a thorn indigenous to that area called workers thorns and they ejected a venom that when you were pierced with them That swelling was almost immediate. Six hours on that cross, the Son of God hang with those poisonous thorns pressed into his brow. His beard had been plucked out. It's said that maybe as many as a thousand vile Romans spit in his face beat him and buffeted him and, and mistreated the son of God those thorns would have caused his head to swell maybe to twice the normal size that's why the Bible said no beauty in him that we should desire him you might say preacher why was that important because the Bible said the wages of sin is death amen do you understand the soul that sins will surely die and Jesus was not dying. For his own sin, because he knew no sin, the scripture said he was sinless. I heard a preacher one time years ago say Jesus was like every other little mean boy. He cussed, he lied, he stole. When he was a teenager, he drank, he did. A, I said, "You're a liar, and the truth ain't in you." My Bible says he knew no sin; never was there guile found in his mouth. How can that be? Because he was not just man; he was God. How Hallelujah. He gave himself to be a sacrifice for our sins. He was paying a long overdue debt of sin from all humanity, from the first man, Adam, till the last one that'll ever take a breath. Jesus was paying for it. You might be sitting here this morning And you think nobody knows about my sin. But there's one that knows. There's one that sees everything. Everything done in secret, he's going to shout it from the housetop one day. There's books being recorded in heaven. Hear me, young people, old people, middle-aged people, every lie, every thought, every malintent, every ungodly thing is being written in the books of heaven. So what Jesus was doing was saying, I've come to cancel the debt. I've come to pay for it. So when he hung on that cross, God watched as they beat his own son, as they nailed his own son. His death was not senseless. The scripture said for all of sin and come short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23 and being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be the propitiation. That's a word propitiation. That means payment in full. God set him forth to be the payment in full for our sin through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission which means the putting away of sins that are passed through the for Parents of God. First John 2 and 1 said, My little children, these things I write to you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And here it is again. And he is the propitiation. He's the payer. He pays for what we, amen, have, have charged. Somebody said the other day, I have a right to make my own choices. I have a right to make my own decisions. And isn't that the world we live in today? Everybody does what they want to do. They've done it to the peril of millions of unborn children in America that have died in what should be the safest place in the mother's womb. Uh And the purveyors of the booze and the drugs, they're doing what they want to do. And it's destroying lives everywhere. And some of it's protected by politicians and preachers. Can I say that? But I want to tell you something. What Jesus did on the cross, you have a right to make your own decisions and own choices, but you have no right to choose the consequences of what you do. And the consequences of sin is death. It always will be. And God took this Jesus and let him die in my place no wonder we sing at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and songs like years I spent in vanity and pride care not my Lord was crucified knowing not it was for me he died at Calvary mercy there was great grace was free pardon there was multiplied for me There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary, the place where Jesus died. So when I look at this death, I I realize that God loved us. Here is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us first and sent his son. The death, listen, Jesus' cross on the death was substitutionary. He was not a martyr or a helpless victim. He willingly died in our place. In John 18 and 18, he said, No man takes my life from me, but I lay it down myself. In in Matthew 20 and 28, he said, The Son of Man Christ came not to be ministered to, but to give his life as a ransom. So they killed him. And then they took him down off the cross. And they laid him in a tomb. Hallelujah. They laid the dead, lifeless body of the Son of God in a tomb and rolled a stone at the door. And when he was, they thought it's the end of him. Hallelujah. No more will we have to deal with this. We don't have to deal with this cross anymore. He's he's done. I'm going to tell you, that's the attitude of the world. We don't have to deal with the cross anymore. There's a lot of people that have joined churches and signed books and shook preachers' hands that are sinning every day willfully and unconsciously and they're telling themselves, I don't have to deal with that anymore. But there's one more item we've got to deal with. That's a tomb. And the reason I didn't put Jesus in the tomb, thank you, brother, today is simply, I want you to notice this. The reason we celebrate Easter is because the tomb is empty. You see, Jesus' death on the cross, not only was it substitutionary, but it was a settled provision. I read it in your hearing this morning. Peter said that Christ died once. Say it with me, once for sin. He died once for sin. He'll never have to die again. I told the church here sometime back that years ago that... uh, 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 Billy Graham went on Johnny Carson's show, on the late show, and Johnny Carson was always whimsical and smart and, and always coming off with something. And when Billy Graham was on Johnny Carson that night, and uh, uh, Johnny Carson looked at him and said, well, Billy, said, I guess if Jesus was to come back here again, we'd probably all do him in again, wouldn't we? Is that the way people are? But he wasn't ready for Billy Graham's answer. Billy Graham said, oh, but he is coming back. And when he comes back the next time, nobody's going to do him in. He's coming back to take over. Oh, hallelujah. When he comes back, he'll be king of kings and lord of lords, lord of lords. You see, it was substitutionary, but it was a settled provision. It's done. And the idea that we could come to that cross and walk away unchanged is foolishness. The idea that we could ever kneel at the cross and be saved and go on living in sin and not be consequences is crazy. Because the Bible said, if we sin willfully, after we've come to the knowledge of the truth and tasted God's good gift of the Holy Spirit, if we sin willfully, there remains no more sacrifice for our sin but a certain fearful looking for a fiery indignation and judgment which will devour the adversary. You see, you either embrace the cross and die to your old sinful ways or you're the adversary of God God will make no acceptances or no exceptions when you come to the cross you must embrace it and the cross is not just a pretty thing we hang around our neck but the cross is a place of death I went to the cross 36 years ago and died to what I had been before before Today I'm wearing a lapel pin that my wife got for me. And it's got a cute little purple bow on it. and I wish I'd done away with that, but what I really like about it is it's a nail. And on the nail are the words or is the word forgiven. I'm forgiven because of the nails. Because of what Jesus did. And if I'm forgiven then he paid a debt he did not owe, and I owe a debt I could never pay, but he paid it for me. Let me hurry. I'm going to close. So, the empty tomb, the empty tomb. I've been to Jerusalem twice. I've been outside the eastern gate, the gate of Jerusalem to the empty-to the garden tomb. And I've looked inside of it twice. And when you go to that tomb and you look over to this side, there's a place hewn out of solid stone where the body of Jesus would have laid You can actually walk into that tomb over there. And I told the church this, that that outside that tomb, there's a hole that's about three foot square and about eight inches deep that they've hewed out of stone. It's right in front of the entrance to the tomb. And when we were there in Israel the first time in 1995, our guide's name was Moshe. In Hebrew, that means Moses. Moses was leading us around Israel. And I asked Moses, I said, Moses, what's the hole for? And he looked at me, and he said, well, It's reported that the early Christians used to come and worship in the tomb often. And it was such a holy place that they hewed that hole out in stone and they poured water in it. And before they would go in, they'd take their shoes off and wash their feet because they didn't want to defile that holy place. You see, as much as we revere the cross, we ought to shout about an empty tomb. Because thank God, Paul said, death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gave us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand when he walked out of that tomb? We walked out of there with him. He brought us out from the regions of death and saved us. So the empty tomb assures us that not only did he agonize in the garden to become willing Not only was he beaten at the post for our healing, not only did he die on the cross for our redemption, but the empty tomb says he rose for our justification. That if we believe with our mouth and with our heart, and confess, not just with your head, but with your heart, and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Paul spoke at another place about our loved ones that have died and gone on. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which have died, that died in faith. Because watch this. He said, if we believe, how many believe that Jesus rose from the dead? How many really believe it? He said, if you believe it, when he comes, he's going to bring our loved ones with him. When he appears the second time, amen, in the clouds of glory. You talk about a reunion. There's going to be a homecoming. My mama might my Daddy, my mother-in-law, father-in-law, my brother, my family members, my ones that I've buried over the years, church members by the hundreds and people by the, I guess, by uh, way up in the hundreds that I've preached their funerals, the millions that have been that have lived and died in faith in Jesus, they're coming in the clouds of glory. And we sing that song. I wonder if the family circle will be broken. It will if you don't embrace Jesus and give him your heart and be saved it'll be broken he's coming back on a silver cloud of glory he's going to catch us all away I'm listening now to the sounds of his appearing can I tell you this could be the day when Jesus went to heaven when he ascended up two angels stood And looked at all of his followers and said, you men of Galilee, why are you looking up into heaven? That same Jesus you see go is coming back in like manner. What was they saying? They were saying, don't stand here gazing. Get busy preaching. Get people saved. Because one day the last sermon will be preached. The last altar call will be given. The last time the Holy Spirit will say to somebody, come to me today. And when the, when the bride is completed and the church's number is full, the door will be shut and it'll be too late. It'll be too late. An empty tomb assures our justification. Hebrews 2 and 10 said, For it became him for all, whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus suffered according to thir- Hebrews 13 and 12 that he might sanctify the people with his own blood and he suffered without the gate. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. In other words, everything is in Jesus. I don't care what Oprah says, there's only one way to heaven. And I've got nothing against Oprah. She was raised in a Southern Baptist church and the day she sat on her worldwide program and said, there's many ways to God, I wanted to cry. I thought, no, God woman, there's one. He said, I'm the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. Somebody said, but all those other religions are so sincere. Listen, you can be sincerely wrong. It's not a chance you want to take. Jesus Christ is the only Savior the only one As they come to the music, I'm going to close. Listen. He made peace through his blood by the cross. He did it to reconcile all things to himself, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And Paul said in Colossians 1 and 21, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works you that were alienated. I'm talking to the saints now. And at one time you were enemies against God by wicked works. He said, yet now, you has he reconciled. Reconciled means he's brought you back. He brought you to a place of forgiveness. I've been preaching this gospel, I, I guess 35 years now, right at 35 years I've preached this gospel to foreign lands I've preached it across the Pacific the islands of the sea I've preached it across the Atlantic and the Muslim world I've preached it in Central and South America I've preached it in several states of this union I've seen hundreds and thousands come to Jesus one night in Zambia Africa in a village with mud huts and thatch roofs and no electricity. We built a makeshift platform and a generator and a PA system. Got an old keyboard and sung some songs. And a Zambian national pastor stood on the platform with me and interpreted while I preached to about 8,000 people one night. Why sit here till you die? Why sit here till you die? Gave the invitation that night the best estimates they could give us was that 2,000 of those people out of those villages came forward and said yes to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Pastors were there from churches around ready to gather them into their flock, into their church. I'll never forget I was in southern Mexico one night and we preached in a little church the first night there the power of God hit that place it was a little building wasn't half the size of this one must have been 300 people packed in it people standing around outside the next night we went back for the service and over 700 they estimated 800 people came the pastor said what are we going to do I said move all this stuff outside let's preach outside hallelujah we preached that night that outdoor meeting hundreds of them paupers poor some of them never had a new pair of shoes on their feet, never had a new store-bought shirt on their back. Here they came forward wanting to get saved. I want to tell you this gospel works. Are you hearing me? This gospel works. It's the power of God and the salvation. And we love to hear the stories of the missionaries and reaching the heathen in the pagan land. But let me tell you something. We're in a harvest field right here, right now, a mission field if you don't know Jesus, the agony in the garden, the beating at the post, the, the nailing to the tree, the walking out of the tomb that first day of the week, three days after the crucifixion, it's all of none avail to you if you don't embrace Him with your whole heart and life. and say, Lord, save me. Save me. Hallelujah ask you today? Do you know Him? Have you gave Him your heart? Have you been saved? If you have, are you serving Him? Or have you fallen from grace? Have you backslid? He's about to come to gather His church. It's time to come in. Father, right now, it's in the name of Jesus. Today that we reach out to you, we know We know, we believe, that Christ alone can save. We believe that he was virgin born, lived a sinless life. He was God's offering for man's salvation. His death was substitutionary. The work of the cross is a settled provision. The empty tomb is a certain hope that Jesus is alive. Paul later recorded that after Jesus rose from the grave, he was seen alive at one time by over 500 brethren. Many of them walked away from him. 120 lingered and were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. God, we want you today to reach out and touch somebody's heart in such a way that they'll never turn away from Jesus Christ. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed every one of us in this room have got somebody in heaven waiting on us probably everybody in this room can think about
0: we hope you enjoyed today's message and we'll tune in again next time raising the standard is the media ministry of the richmond house of prayer in richmond kentucky For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.arhop.life. Thanks for listening.